Trigger warning, this podcast contains brief discussions about sexual abuse and suicide, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Just Check In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations with me, your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have Anatta and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. In Just Checking In Pod episode 130, I checked in with my old workmate Connor Smart and his identical twin brother Lewis Smart for a conversation about their lives growing up together as twins, a reminisce about mine and Connor's relationship and friendship, and some philosophical and political theory in between. After that episode, Connor expressed a desire to interview me, so in this episode, I'm diving back into my mental health story with Connor, but hopefully will provide some new perspectives and nuances that you haven't heard from my story before. There'll be some laughs, some reflections, and hopefully an enjoyable listen for you venters as well. So this is how part four of my story on the Just Checking In pod went. Hello there. How are you, Freddie? I'm good, mate. I mean, that was a strong start. I didn't know how you knew to start that podcast, mate, but well done. You got there in the end. <laughs> I was rehearsing that opener, as you, as you can probably tell. Thank you, first of all, for letting me host on your podcast, Freddie. I attended a couple of weeks ago, no, a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago now, wasn't it? Um, mm. We had a little conflab with my twin brother, which I actually found very useful, both during the conversation and post-recording of actually listening to it myself. So, thank you very much for allowing me to play the host this time, and I hope that I can sort of bring some things out of you that you brought out of me uh, which I found very interesting so we shall see see how this goes good sir yes Mm. we shall see Mm. so what I wanted to cover today and it's something that sort of just immediately came to me when you asked me to host I started writing and these thoughts sort of started coming out of my head and I couldn't really explain first of all where they came from so today I sort of want to cover with you the paths of trauma mental health and varying outcomes and I sort of want to explore with you how traumatic experiences that lead to mental health issues can sort of go down three different sort of paths, at least that I'm aware of just existing as a human being. And those sort of paths are one of defeat, one of struggle, and then the third one of growth. And I sort of really want to sort of talk to you based on what I've read of your articles and, you know, the things that you've been through in your journey, what it is that could possibly determine why some people are one defeated by their experiences, why some people just seem to struggle with them, but then some seem to assimilate the experience and have some sort of growth in character that, that you know, they build that their foundation upon. And I don't really know whether those paths, you know, is one path assigned for one person or is it a mixture of paths that someone goes through in life? And I want to sort of talk about those with you in a very general manner and sort of, I guess it's sort of for me in a sense, sort of educating myself from someone who's had these experiences and Mm -hmm. whether this is a useful conceptual tool or not. So Mm. I don't know if that's something that makes sense to you. Yeah, I've probably Mm. gone through all three. So happy to let you lead this where you want to. Fantastic, fantastic. I think let's just sort of open it up really. And I just want to sort of start by asking you, are these three tools or three paths something that you would be aware of without me sort of bringing it up? 
is there something that I've just conjured up in my head or is there something that you think is out there already existing and being talked about? I think to a certain degree, it's already out there. I certainly recognize my own path in that. I think what can be said is that I've probably gone through all of the stages, if that makes sense. I think some people obviously can just be defeated. Obviously, someone can react to trauma in a, in a wholly positive way and they might have a really great inbuilt resilience. And some people might react to it in a completely different way. And, and there's no linear path, I would say. No, Roger, that gets to that. And I think for me, growing up, I became very interested in stoic thought from the, the ripe old age of 16, like most budding philosophers. <laughs> and through that sort of reading, I always sort of saw dramatic events or negative events as obstacles to be overcome and it was our sort of reaction to those events that was focusing on what we can control and our reaction to these things that was the most important thing for me growing up and I don't know looking back I never really sort of had a mental health vocabulary I guess so for me this like when you've asked me to host this like actually putting pen to paper this sort of framework came immediately to my mind and I was quite surprised by it to some degree. And I don't know if that's come from my readings and philosophy or just me existing in the world and bumping into things. What I want to ask you is that... I have no idea. <laughs> that's all right, mate, don't worry. I've, I've got an answer ready, so yeah. it's fine. I think when it comes to stoicism, I think some people can misinterpret it as a unemotional reaction to trauma because people think of mm. a stoic and if they're not, perhaps educated on the concept they might think of it as someone as an island or someone who's immune to any sort of emotion mm. affecting them but what I think it provides as a useful tool is a necessary toolkit for some people to be able to deal with life's ups and downs and it might it might not be for everyone but I think that it can only be a useful tool if you develop that necessary resilience or what Nassim Nicholas Taleb calls being anti-fragile. So what that means is that when difficult moments happen to you or when trauma happens to you, you positively change as a result of them. Whereas he defines resilience as when these things happen to you, you stay the same. I think most people can only develop that resilience or anti-fragileness, however you want to call it, either at a young age, when they have that support network to get through that difficult moment or trauma the first few times. And then ideally, because they'd had that support network, they'd have the capacity to deal with future traumas on their own or with gradually less and less support as they reach what a lot of people would call kind of cognitive or emotional independence. And I think the path to recovery kind of reflects that it's never linear and the tools that people use or one can use can be stoicism or it can be a completely different kit if you want and I think what works for someone won't work for another but I think we should all be striving to achieve that level of positivity and cognitive independence and emotional independence and stability when it comes to our mental health because if we do that then we're not projecting that unresolved trauma onto others and obviously negatively impacting relationships or friendships or our own lives. Mm. No, no, no. That's very insightful. So, so I guess I want to move into the specific paths now and sort of really explore them with you and use your experiences and your insight and what you've been doing over the last couple of years with Vent and the people that you've sort of spoken to. So I'll sort of shed light on each of these different paths that I've sort of have as conception and flesh out what they might actually mean in a substantive way. So let's move on to the first path. And I, I guess a good place to start is one of defeat. And being someone who's outside of the mental health sort of discussion and it's not really something I've interacted with with people or it's always something I've more seen on the outside within the news and everything I sort of get through that visual. 
And you see a lot of defeat, don't you, to some extent? Mm -hmm. The narrative seems to be a lot of how mental health defeats people, um, which is, of course, completely justified in many ways because it can be a very defeating process. And it's a very negative one for a lot of people. Well, mental illness can be. I wouldn't say mental health. That's the distinction I would make. See, for me, I don't fully understand that difference in the sense of... Well, everyone has, men- so everyone mental has mental illness. health, mate. Everyone has mental health, but mental illness no, 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 yeah, is yeah, yeah. mental health. I get mental illness, and that's more of a sort of medical thing, isn't it? A sort of, you know, sort of observable, treatable, symptomatic sort of thing. And for me, mental health, it's... So can you be defeated in a mental health frame of reference? The answer for me is, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, mm. obviously trauma can impact your mental health, but there were hundreds of times when... I felt defeated, especially during school when I was Mm. isolated. I was being bullied by my friends in air quotes and bullied by most of the rest of the year. I don't think I ever felt bad for feeling that concept because like you, Con, I didn't have that vocabulary about mental health back then. It wasn't on my list of priorities. The only thing I wanted to do for a long time in school was, quite frankly, die. But I now know I had such an inner strength and a bravery that my mind refused to give in perhaps when my body was wanting me to and it took me a long time and therapy to realize that surviving that pain wasn't embarrassing it was actually a brave achievement Mm. do you think the way we view defeat today is negatively affecting people's mental health and how they perceive defeat you know we have a very sort of striving culture don't we where to accomplish and to win is the sort of highest value is defeat and how it incorporates into traumatic experiences and how we engage with the world and how people you know engage with us is the way we sort of view being defeated a possibly negative factor in that it's hard to say because i strive a lot on the podcast to talk about mistakes and failure and that's because i felt for a long time so much anxiety about making mistakes and i felt so much panic about making mistakes i don't have as much as that anymore but you still you still get that pang of anxiety for me whenever i have kind of mm. someone tells me i make a mistake or something like that but i strive a lot on the podcast to talk about how we can learn from mistakes and learn from failure and learn from defeat because you know in the sporting world the common adage the phrase that's always used is that you never learn anything in victory you always learn something mm. in defeat or failure because then you can pick yourself up and you work out what you need to do better next time you never learn too much when you win So I think our attitude has got to be more reframed. And I think we've got to be able to teach the next generation that it's okay to fail, but it's how we learn from that. And it doesn't make you a bad person, but it's how we pick ourselves up, dust each other off and help each other get to that stage of stability and hopefully progress. Mm, I do agree. And I think one of the favorite aphorisms of the Stoics that I've always favored is that you know, these things are meant to be wrestled with. You know, God send us, sends, and not to use God, but they, they get a very different conception of God than what we do today. But these things happen in our lives so that we wrestle with them and we become mm-hmm. stronger by wrestling with them. Sometimes you're going to lose that wrestling match. Sometimes you're going to win. Yeah, I'm trying to see as, as our culture has too much focus and emphasis on being a winner and the fact that, like, if you don't have obstacles in your life and you, you're constantly overcoming things, that makes you a stronger person. So, yeah, I, I guess. Oh God, yeah, God, I'm just losing it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm it's, it's a lot harder than it bloody looks on the outside. Huh? Yeah, it? isn't oh, it? God damn. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem is well, I haven't like just written a list of questions. I've got like speaking points, so it's hard for me to sort of get off that speaking point and ask you a defining question. Yeah, so, well, uh, that's the point of being a host, mate. You have to try and link what you're saying to a <laughs> well, question to ask the guest. <laughs> 
I know, I know, mate. Fucking hell, I didn't realise that. Shall I talk about victim mentality then? Because that's something that you wanted to discuss. And I think mm. for me, I was probably in a victimhood mentality from quite an early age, probably about seven or eight years old. And that's very hard to move out of without early intervention and positive guidance and a lot of other things from the people around you. And I didn't really have any of that. So I didn't really have anyone I could turn to for that. So I dealt with all of that largely on my own. And when you're dealing with all of that on your own as a kid, it's bloody hard, as you would imagine, to find the inner strength or the guidance to take that personal responsibility or find ways to leave the victim mentality. And, you know, as I said earlier, there was no narrative around mental health. So I had no yardstick or, or even a frame of reference. And, you know, I came close to taking my own life hundreds of times. And obviously I tried properly once and tried in, in air quotes because it wasn't, it was a pretty crap suicide attempt, to be honest. But I still didn't see that as mental health in air quotes as, as related to that. I still saw mental health as something abstract, you know, represented by someone with out of control schizophrenia shouting to themselves in a park or someone in a mental facility talking to themselves, holding their knees, rocking back and forth. I had that very mm. stereotypical image. I still felt that all of what I'd gone through was some weird rite of passage that I had to go through that felt quite normal even though it was even though a lot of people do go through it it is still quite abnormal to go through that so I think going through that period I've spoken about this before that I had one amazing primary school teacher who protected me and intervened when I was sexually assaulted when I was eight nine years old that I'll always be grateful for but I needed to know how to stand up for myself and the one time I did do that and I didn't listen to any of the guidance that I was getting the guy I punched, I'm still close friends with today. And I think there's actually quite what people don't want to talk about, I think, in a lot of cases, but there is a positive element of male confrontation. And to some small degree, perhaps you can probably frame it in a different way, but violence to establish boundaries and to resolve conflict. And, you know, unfortunately, I kept listening to the bad advice I was getting and I never carried that attitude through to secondary school. But I think there is something to be said for, I'm obviously not advocating that, physical violence should be used but establishing your boundaries and confrontation when it comes to men growing up I think it, it is quite an important thing to instill in us and to actually create those bonds of brotherhood where people know who you are what you stand for and you can carry yourself in the correct way and then therefore you can survive and hopefully thrive in in those environments which are very harsh and we all know that for a lot of boys for most boys in fact that school is pretty much dog eat dog my secondary school felt like a prison to be honest mm. so why do you think some people end up feeling totally defeated by their experiences and, and what can be put in place to sort of stop that that defeat or that feeling of defeat i think there is a few reasons i think lack of self-awareness is probably one if you're not aware of the things that you need to heal and how can you heal? And how can you exit that mindset? Because it's obviously very easy for me to look back on all these things and say, now I've, I've, ex I've exited that trauma state. But if you label someone a victim when they are in victimhood mindset, immediately they're going to just get their backs up and they're going to be triggered by that. And, and probably rightly so, because it's not a nice thing to hear and it's never a nice thing to hear. So I think self-awareness is one. I think personal responsibility leading on from that and like your article really importantly said Connor all those years ago about putting action into words so after you've articulated or if you've decided to voice your mental health in perhaps a way that isn't talking whatever you want to do 
It's about how do I follow through with that now? How do I take steps to ensure that what I'm saying isn't just empty promises to myself, but actually positive steps to get my mental health to a better place? Because, you know, people can support you, people can help you. But at the end of the day, it is very much up to you to get yourself better. Mm. And I think as you talk about narrative and the sort of wider conversation and context that people operate in, does the media, in your opinion, focus too much on the defeat of mental health rather than the growth aspect? Is it more click worthy to read about people losing than it is about people winning? That's a good question. You could argue in one sense that you're right, but I think we're still very early on into this newfound Mm -hmm. vocabulary and awareness about mental health. You know, I went to school in 2005 which was when I was in year seven and we've come quite a long way since then and I think we've got to be a on the one hand very careful that the pendulum doesn't swing the other way too hard where kids are self-diagnosing all over the place when they're actually just going through general anxiety or just things that are sadness and they go really hard the other way but also we need to really kind of take stock and reflect on how far we've come even in those what 18 19 years because Prior to that, Mm. for the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, mental health just wasn't a thing. It was ridiculously stigmatized. People were terrified that if they spoke about their mental health, they'd be taken to a psychiatric facility where they'd never be able to see their children or their friends or their family again. So I think obviously the media tries to, and this is the media in, in, in air quotes, it can be referred to as lots of different things. But I think a lot of media does a lot of positive work to tell positive stories and positive stories of growth and trauma and moving out of that trauma but obviously you know we can all say and know that print media and sensationalist headlines I don't think a lot of them have probably learned the lessons of certain high profile cases in the past as we could probably list for eternity about people who have been cast into that eye and very sadly not come out of it Hmm, that's interesting and Again, I, I don't watch too much news regarding mental health. So I guess for me, from my own experience, what I see is usually a video or it's an article of it explains a really traumatic situation someone's experienced. And it really emphasizes the struggle that they're having. And then that for me seems to be the main narrative, which is really important. It's a really important part of the narrative. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be any focus on that at all. But it always seems to sort of stop there and just encompass those two elements. And again, this might just be my own reading or lack of reading, but I never hear about in those articles or videos someone who's come through that defeat and is now in a growth place and they've sort of changed from that experience and there's more positivity around it. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, I do agree that sometimes there is just a focus on the on the trauma, but that might be because they're interviewing that person in the here and now. They're not going back to interview them six months on or 12 months on or two or three years Mm. on to go back and see how they're doing because the story might have gone by then. Do you know what I mean? So there's obviously not that Mm. time taken. Mm. And I also think you are right in the sense that sometimes we can focus too much on the trauma. But I also think that when it comes to struggle, we need to emphasize that sometimes struggle can be a positive because what we learn from the struggle and Mm. and how we come out the other end and post-traumatic growth and stuff like that I think when it comes to my own story and I do agree with the notion of your questions about struggle but every time I thought I had healed my trauma more traumas buried deep in my psyche from school were brought up my Mm. best mate James told me on an episode that he did a couple years ago now an incident I went through bullying by my social group that I didn't even remember myself but I told him back then And I'm sure there are others that 
even now in my mind won't let me access because I'm recovered and my mind doesn't want me to relive those. And I think it wasn't until I finished that second round of EMDR therapy that I actually felt like I'd exited this trauma state, as I'd mentioned, that I'd been living in for 20 plus years, where previously, and this is a really interesting perspective that I think you'd like to kind of dive into, that I was desperate to die for so many years. And because of that, I never really feared death. I never really feared the concept of death Mm. because it didn't feel like a consequential thing to me. Whereas now, I now no longer think, oh, I won't survive past 16 like I used to. Now I've survived it. I'm almost a little bit desperate to live. I had this newfound small fear of death that most people have. Obviously, it's not a massive problem. But, you know, when I got COVID for the first Mm. time or even before I got COVID, I was a little bit worried about how it'll affect me. So there's this switch of mindset now that perhaps all the normal people in air quotes had prior to that, whereas whereas I didn't. Mine was flipped. And now I've gone back to what normal people have, which is a general kind of fear about death but are wanting to live because I feel like I'm playing almost life catch up with everyone else Mm. no it's really interesting do you ever feel moments of defeat in your current state or is it something that you think is consigned to the past your past experiences I don't think so and I certainly hope that I would never move back into that defeated state or that trauma state. I think I'm much better at dealing with life's natural up and downs. I've had, you know, I've had a couple low points and I've had a couple low moments in the course of this kind of last two or three years, but moving out Mm. and gaining a lot of independence has helped me with that. I still ask my dad to come to my flat and put up a shelf, but (laughs) controlling my finances, (laughs) life admin stuff, I'm, I'm pretty in control of. Mm. What I do find sad is despite the fact that I moved out of this trauma state, I look back at that period to a large extent as it's like my lost years. I wasn't healed. So where I was trying to live life to the fullest, there was still that suitcase of trauma holding me back, whether it was self-harm, whether it was the sexual abuse, whether it was anything to do with body image, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that would always come up in different aspects of my life, whether it was love life, whether it was career, whether it was personal relationships. And you don't want to compare yourself. You don't want to, go back and have if buts and maybes but I do have that little pang of oh it would have been great if I'd been in this state when I was 18 19 or 15 16 or mm. 17 18 because I think I'd have done a lot better I mean I've definitely done a lot more I did I definitely would have done a lot better with girls <laughs> <laughs> I think for a lot of us Freddie we wish we'd done better in some ways but but you're right it's, there's far more is taken than just the act itself mm. isn't there as you say there's lost years there and there's there's lost awareness and engagement and lost presence so it is a pretty holistic sort of loss, isn't it, mm. sadly? So I guess sort of wrapping up that, you know, the discussion on this pathway of, of the experience of defeat in mental health. If anyone's listening now who sort of might feel like they're in a period of defeat where they're feeling defeated by things in their mental health in that sort of state, what advice would you give them to sort of get through that feeling mm. um, based on what you've been through? It's an interesting question and one I get asked a lot, mate. And when you sent me over the running order, one thing you talked about was this silent majority and what should a silent majority do when it comes to their mental health? And I think stereotypically, and you're definitely testament to this, that internally English people or British people, but I think English people more so, have a tendency to underplay mm. our problems. And this can really be translated to mental health. So we always underplay how we're feeling. You, know, you say what you're saying, always say, oh, not much, mate. Nothing's changed. Like, I remember seeing a really viral tweet and it was someone saying, oh, I saw a mate that I hadn't seen in 20 years. And he said, what are you up to, mate? He said, not much, mate. Fuck all, same old, same old. So it's like, I'm not seeing you in 20 years, mate. Some, obviously something's got to have happened. <laughs> so I think when it comes yeah, to yeah. mental health, obviously all joking aside, that so many people will still only access professional support 
when they're in crisis. And because of that, mm. it can take them much longer to heal than if they had recognized or caught themselves in a particular moment or feeling and accessed professional support if they could several months or weeks before they got to that moment. And I think obviously the general advice I would give for people who are feeling defeated is A, to seek professional support if they need it. B, if they are struggling with something internally and they want to vocalize it and they want to speak to someone, because obviously not everyone will, then find that neutral arbiter, find that person you can trust. It could be a friend, it could be a brother, it could be a sister, it could be your parent, doesn't have to be any of them. It could be a teacher, it could be your line manager, just any neutral arbiter that will listen to you non-judgmentally, that will listen empathically and be able to offer that support and, and give you that positive reaction. I always say on a lot of these podcasts and, and work that I do that for men in particular, it takes maybe on average a bit more time for them to vocalize it. And it takes them a bit more time to build up that trust. But it's a really important moment when they do that first step. Because if that moment goes wrong and that person isn't the right person, that could put them back years, months, hopefully not decades when it comes to vocalizing it again and building that trust up with someone again. So I think those are the main things I would say. And hopefully people listening have been listening to me for a long enough time that they've been able to take my advice and hopefully it's not shit. <laughs> I'm sure it's not good stuff. I mean, I'm learning a lot just through talking with you in these two podcasts. So I'm sure there's a lot of value there being added. <laughs> We've talked about defeat as a sort of first path um, as part of this mental health conceptual framework that I've, I want to discuss. And I want to sort of jimmy into the sort of next pathway, which is struggle, which is probably a perhaps more complicated and less easily defined pathway in, in my mind, at least anyway. So I guess my first question would be to you, drawing on your experiences would you ever define a part of your life as a struggle period as opposed to a defeat period and is it something that lessens over time the struggle or can you move back from struggle into moments of defeat well it's a good question and I think defeat and struggle overlap in many ways and intertwine mm. there were certainly periods during secondary school for large parts of actually of a secondary school where I felt defeated but I think struggle is an interesting concept. I certainly felt more struggle in university where I was obviously loving life and I still view the university as the best three years of my life, to be honest. But because I'd bottled all of that mental health trauma up because I needed to survive and I needed to have this subconscious protector who was helping me mask all of this trauma that putting the Mentos in the Coke bottle at the start of university really was that explosion into all of this unresolved trauma and having to deal with that. And it was projecting out and coming out in all sorts of ways. So I think university would be my struggle years, even though it was actually some of the best years of my life. It's kind of a oxymoron or certainly a contradiction, but that's probably where I'd say my struggle years were more intensely. Obviously there have been periods since, you know, when I was at the BBC and the sexual abuse scars started to come up more prominently and then I had to start addressing it. And that's been a period from say 24, 25 to 28 when I addressed all of it. So that was certainly a struggle period. And I, when I had to finally heal all of this unresolved trauma properly, obviously the CBT did a lot of good work, but the EMDR really was just life-changing. So I'd certainly define 18 to 21 as the most intense struggle period. Hmm, that's really interesting. It's the way you sort of talk about the term struggle and your time at university and that you were uh, experienced contention and sort of issues. It wasn't negative, but it did bring sort of trials. But at the same time, you sort of said that it was also the happiest days of your life at mm. university. So I guess going back to the pathway of defeat and how we talk about it in the media and stuff, is struggle 
as a term and as a concept, is there too much you know, negativity surrounding the term struggle when really struggle means contention, but it also means strengthening at the same time? That's a good question. I think there were certainly points in university where I felt on the brink of defeat, if I'm being honest, because I had an episode of psychosis the day before I accessed mental health therapy and I was on the brink of suicide pretty much. I didn't try and take my own life, but I was pretty close to it. And I certainly felt on the brink of defeat, but looking back, I still see that as a period of struggle and not defeat. I think I would clearly define those terms quite clearly. It's a really good question and probably something I don't have the answer to fully. I do think Mm -hmm. that there is a lot of positivity, like we've said previously, about coming out of struggle and learning things from struggle. But it's not the best answer I could probably give. This is a question that's actually stumped me for once. No, it's, um, I mean, it just came off the top of my head. So it's off the um, dome. (laughs) Off the dome, exactly. Bounce right out of there. For me, the most interesting thing is vocabulary, perception, and engagement with like the sort of meta thinking around these things. And I think sometimes we need to have more of a focus on that so that we have the tools to be able to engage properly with these things. And I guess for me, growing up, I would never say I've, you know, reading your stories and what you've been through, I've never had that extent of experiences that would lead me to pick like those periods of mental health challenges. But I guess in this pathway of struggle, I possibly might lump myself within that pathway for periods of my life where I've struggled with things and that maybe has played on my mental health. So going back to what you mentioned earlier about the silent majority, do you think a lot of people are possibly in the pathway of struggle and they might not realise it? 100%. And I think we all struggle to a certain degree. That's what life's about. You know, life's not this linear pathway of everything is rainbows and sunshines because if it was, then the first time that you do struggle, it's going to absolutely fuck you up. Mm. For example, say like a trust fund kid or a private school kid who's gone to Eton or has gone to a really great school and has never had any problems. He might be the captain of the rugby team and yeah, he gets all the girls and he goes to university, he goes to Oxford and he like this pathway is set out for him, but then something Mm. happens. He might lose his mum or he might lose a friend to suicide or he might not get into Oxford and he might have to go somewhere else. And that moment, that struggle period is so much more intense and it feels so much more alien to him because Mm. he hasn't gone through anything prior to that. He hasn't had that experience of, okay, this is how I deal with it and this is how I've got through it because he has no form of reference. So when it comes to the silent majority, we're all struggling to some degree. You know, you could probably talk to anyone right now and with the energy bills rising for most people, Mm. cost of living crisis, most people are going to be affected by that by and large, even people who are quite middle class. So the important thing is to be able to have the self-awareness to recognize when you are struggling, know that perhaps it will pass or know that you need to get support, know that you need to implement your toolkit, whether it's talking to a friend or you go for a walk or you take part in a hobby that you like. So it's all about catching yourself and having the self-awareness to be able to deal with that struggle and to be able to get out of it. No, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said there. And it's going back to what I was talking about earlier. Do we embrace struggle as a sort of term in life that is really integral to to improving and living life or do we see struggle does it have negative connotations in a sense like there's a part of all of us where we feel it'd be really great to win the lottery wouldn't we you know and have all our problems solved by lots of money in the bank and blah 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 but for me i've been thinking like as nice as it would be to win the lottery and i wouldn't say no if i did 
there's a real sort of existential part of me that would be really sort of disconcerned at the prospect of never having to think about money again. Like mm. the element of struggle in my life. I don't like having to think about money, of course, but I like having to be smart to save money. I like having to be sort of, you know, sort of like that a pun? prudent. What's that? <laughs> oh, it's not Freddie, but um, almost could be with my second name. Exactly. I like having to be thrifty. I like having, you know, the struggle in a sense is what gives life a sort of zest, but obviously in, in fine amount of doses. So I guess my question out of all of that is, is that way of viewing struggle embraced today in society? Or do we still see struggle as too much of a negative thing? I think in certain circles, struggle is all people talk about, you know, the stoic circles and the podcast network, it's all about struggle and people learning, which is good, you know, Mm. I'll never judge people for that. I'll never say that's a bad thing. Sometimes Mm. it can get a little bit overblown. And you know, we've been we were talking about particular podcast off air that got into the, the sort of weeds of talking quite pretentiously about things. And I was getting a bit annoyed by that. And I think some podcasts can lean into to the whole well-being angle a little bit too mm. hard to the point where it gets a bit cringy mm. which isn't helpful mm. in my opinion but i do think in certain circles like i said before struggle is viewed as a positive tool but obviously there are still a lot of people who see it as something scary or see it as something that they don't want to embrace probably because mm. they're maybe not secure enough in themselves to embrace that and I, th- I think for me growing up it would have been nice if someone had said to me it's okay to struggle it's okay to be wrestling with these problems and to be going through them like it doesn't make you an abnormality it's it's part of the human experience and mm. you know that can range from both varying degrees of you know sort of severity in those struggles but yeah it's it's definitely a powerful i think that's important for, for me anyway and how i would view mental health and just as general people going about our daily lives interacting with life and all its sort of variables I just also would say yeah, quickly, no, on the yeah. on the lottery point that I would certainly mm. be okay with winning the lottery. What I would feel the anxiety with is people knowing that I had and then them changing their perspective about me. Mm. So you might start getting the vultures going, oh, you've got cash, Fred. Why don't you just buy the whole round today? Or why don't you just do that? Why don't you just... And it, and it brings a new pressure on you, I think. I think mm. the whole point about money and having it is more freedom of choice rather than happiness Mm. so that's how i view it you know i'd like to have more money because then i'd have more choice about what i can do i can buy a a round for someone and not have to think about something else or think about what i'm doing the next week for budgeting i can spend a bit more money on a present that i would normally do maybe my budget was previously 50 and now it's 150 for a birthday present or do you know what i mean it's little things like that that you have Mm. more freedom to use no 100 and i guess everything has its own struggles that come with it and even winning another you know it's going to sound strange but even winning the lottery might be a struggle because of course you have to struggle to how to, you know to be wise with that money you have to struggle not to be indulgent with that money you have to struggle to remain the same person that you were so that you don't lose your friends over these sort of things so i guess struggle is part of every everything really isn't it to some degree but yeah so thank you for that it's been very interesting to see that pathway and how you sort of brought your experiences to that so we've covered defeat we've covered struggle now we move on to the more positive pathway, which is quite nice, of um, assimilation and growth. And I think for me, this is really sort of where I get to the crux of why I wanted to talk about this theme on this for this podcast. It always surprises me how people can experience, you know, more or less the same things, but they can come out of these things with different ways of interacting with it. And it astounds me, you know, it's a testament to the human spirit and it's a testament to the fact that you're sitting here right now and all the great work you've done over the last couple of years. 
that despite experiencing these really negative traumatic things, you've somehow assimilated them and you've grown to a certain extent. And I was wondering, do you think you would be, well, it's, it's quite an obvious answer, but I sort of want to hear it from the horse's mouth as you were. If you didn't have those experiences, would you be who you are today? It's an interesting question. I don't think I would be. And when you sent me the running order over, this was my favorite part because I'm a big believer in post-traumatic growth. And anyone who's known me for a long time and when I was in that trauma state and potentially earlier when I was really young, who's seen the whole journey, I hope can see visibly and in conversation with me how I've grown and the impact that's had on me. I say Mm. quite a lot that healing your trauma is the best glow up you can do. And I actually think that I look better visibly in the face. Obviously, Mm. I've done a lot of work in the gym as well, but you know, that's just by the by. But I think visibly in the face, I look better than I did when I was 21, 22, even though I'm older, because Mm. that trauma has been Mm. healed. I've reached that level of self-acceptance. And I actually do think you can see that on people's faces. For a lot of people who've gone through trauma and healed from it, you know, I look at really old pictures of me, probably like 11 to say 17, 18, maybe. And I just look dead behind the eyes. I really do. Mm. So did you ever feel, or looking back now, do you feel there was a point in your life when you reached a more defined assimilation and growth point? And what were the sort of factors if that was a stage in your life what factors led into that stage so I've always been trying to grow since 21 when I had that first round of CBT therapy that's actually wrong because when I had that first round of CBT therapy I thought after I'd finished it I was done with therapy and I thought I would just be a linear straight path upwards and upwards and upwards and then I had a really big flare-up with anxiety and the abuse kind of coming out around 24 25 and I realized that I needed to do some more work so I did some more CBT therapy I resolved a lot of issues within my personal life with family and stuff like that. And from that point, I then realized, well, now I've got to keep putting actions into words. If there's more issues that I've got to resolve, I need to do that. And doing the EMDR, the two rounds of that was definitely a big example of that growth. And I think I've experienced the most growth I ever have done from the point when I started the EMDR to when I finished it. And obviously, I've now come out of that trauma state. And I feel like I've got a very small what's the phrase i've got a small overnight bag of trauma rather than a big heavy whatever brand of suitcase uh heavy duty suitcase you can bring of trauma yeah 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 night, overnight bag that got me a little bit actually have to be honest <laughs> so do you consider yourself to have sort of grown and through that growth you've left these experiences behind in some way or is there a constant process of sort of growth and it's like a, what they call the um Japanese plants, the um God, it eludes me what it is. I'm not, not gonna give you the answer here, me. mate. I don't know it's, what it is. <laughs> you know, the really sort of precious Japanese plants in, in a pot where you have to trim them every day or something. No idea, mate. You know what I'm, I, I'm about, not responsible surely. for any plants in my oh, flat. <laughs> you're so uncultured, Freddie. So uncultured. <laughs> anyway, there's a plant in, a Japanese plant that you have to sort of trim every day and it requires a certain specific amount of water. So what I'm get, what I'm alluding to is being tender and caring and constantly tending to this process. So is your growth process done or are you constantly tending to it? No, my growth process is never done. And that's the point of having a growth mindset. You can always learn more. You can always read more. And that's one of the amazing things about doing the podcast is that I was a massive reader when I was young and I probably didn't read that much when I was in university and to a certain extent, maybe up to like 23, 24. But now I'm reading like a book a week minimum, depending on the book mm. and the size font. But it really is quite amazing for me and I'm trying to learn as much as I can and keep on building. 
I don't think you ever leave those experiences behind. I think it's important to say that. I think they always stay mm-hmm. with you, but it's the impact they have on you. And I think it's the way you reflect on them. So whereas previously I might have remembered them and always felt triggered by them or always felt ashamed or guilt or that protector was coming back mm. to mask my emotions or trying to mask me feeling upset when talking about them. Now I can look back on them with quite a lot of detachment. And now that I've healed that inner child and I've healed the eight-year-old fat boy Fred and I've healed the 14-year-old Fred and I've healed the 19-year-old Fred who was in the midst of a lot of substances and reckless behavior, I hope they all can be proud of me. Mm. I'm sure they would be for sure. So for me, it's really interesting. I met you in summer of 2016 and a lot of this stuff that you've been talking about, I've only really found out in the last, what, let's say six months, possibly a year or a bit longer, like a year to three years, obviously with your work with Vent. So I guess for me, and it's something I've, I've actually just, I want to ask you, and it suddenly just came to my brain as we've been talking. What stage did I meet you at in your life? Was it defeat? Were there, still, were there still elements of defeat pervading your mindset? Were you in a process of struggle or were there signs of growth and assimilation? Because when I met you, I thought you were a very chipper, very engaging, very energetic and bubbly young chap. And that's why it's been so interesting to see and read about all these other experiences that you had. So yeah, what stage were you at when you met? That is a very good question. I don't think I thought I was struggling, but perhaps I probably was underneath because I hadn't resolved any of that. I hadn't even written my first article, had I? Because that was before I even started Vent. Mm. So Vent started in Mm. September 2017 and we met, what, August 2016, September 2016? And then we were obviously at the place we were until January 2017. So probably a undercurrent struggle period, if that makes sense. Mm, okay. See, I for me, initially, I would have thought you were in a sort of assimilation and growth stage because you were sort of, because I didn't know about these things that you'd experienced in your past and I was only interacting with the present Freddie I was engaging with there and then. It's really interesting how you can sort of have a distortion of someone and what process they're going through, isn't it? Mm. You know, you've told me you're going through a certain process, whereas I thought you were going through something very different. And for me, <laughs> I'd like to think I'm quite observant. But, you know, maybe I'm not so much. And that's you know possibly something for me to learn. Well, no, I think you were probably right in believing that because I probably believed that myself. I probably believed that I was in a period mm. of growth and I had done that CBT therapy mm. and I didn't need to do any more therapy. And I was just on a linear path to growth and constant recovery. But really, I don't think I had properly even started that recovery period to, in, in truth. Not until really I did that second round of CBT therapy and I really started addressing, okay, maybe this is now coming up. This is now coming up. What do I need to stop doing here? So it's an interesting thing to reflect back on, but I certainly wouldn't say that you were wrong to believe that because I probably believe that myself and was probably in some sort of denial about it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So I guess probably my final question for this for this section, which for me has perhaps been the most interesting section. I'm not sure you agree with that or not. But what role did Vent play in the sort of growing and assimilation of your experiences? Vent changed my life, mate, in so many ways. It's Mm. been one of the biggest positives in my life. It's red-pilled me. It's whatever-pilled me in other knowledge and topics. (laughs) Uh, It's re-engaged my Mm. love for reading. It's given me friendships with people across the political spectrum that I probably wouldn't have had. It's changed my political beliefs in many ways through the people that I've met. It's become my infinite purpose. You know, I'm addicted to 
doing pods and meeting people and helping people, supporting mm. people. And it's allowed me to grow within it to a point where Vent to some degree has perhaps become bigger than me now, which I never thought I'd be able to say. It's forced me to access therapy and address my demons. And obviously through self-development, I've now recentered my own vision of masculinity and positive masculinity mm. where prior to that subconsciously when I was growing up, perhaps younger versions of myself saw masculinity as something scary or dangerous because I was abused by male groups. But now I just see that as toxic mm. behavior, not inherently male, because, you know, as we both know, teenage girls can bully other girls even more horrifically than boys can bully boys mm. in many cases. I'm now in the best physical shape I've ever been. I've restored my relationship, as I've said, with all those previous versions of myself who were acting as my protector and holding me back because that protector is what helped me survive and it didn't want to let go. I'm a people pleaser in recovery. I'm a million times better at pushing back on people and respecting my own boundaries and not feeling bad afterwards. Where prior I was doing anything and everything for anyone in school just to be liked because I was so hated so much of being myself. The biggest thing that it's allowed me to advocate as well, Con, is own your shit. And this comes back to what a lot of what we said about mm. struggle and recognizing that you're struggling. And there are millions of people, as we know, in real life and online, normally online, who don't own their shit and they refuse to do this. And it's my biggest red flag in someone. I don't care if you've gone to private school. I don't care if you've had loads of privilege in your life. If you own the fact that you've got privilege and you accept that, I'm not going to not be your friend because you've got that self-awareness. You've got that recognition of what you've been through. And, and we can break bread and we can have a strong relationship. And I've got friends of, of private school and state school and, and, and whoever else. But it always mm. makes me laugh when you know someone will say, oh, but I went to a shit private school or this was only given to me through this. And it's like, well, well, no, just own the fact that you went there. I'm not going to like judge you for it. Just why are you like guilt tripping yourself? Just like be calm. Like no one really cares, to be honest. Like we're all adults now. So yeah, my mm -hmm. favorite female comedian, Miss Pat said, if you can laugh about your pain, you own it. And that's something I try and do as much mm. as possible in life now, even if joking about suicide and the scars of sexual abuse can make others uncomfortable, even when I'm completely fine with it. So I'm, I'm, as you know, mate, my filters weren't in tip top mode when we worked together. Sometimes that was a good thing. Sometimes that was a bad thing, but I'm still working on those filters in, in personal life when it comes to making other people feel completely comfortable, even though I'm completely fine with it. Mm. And I think the greatest draw I got from you, Fred, is that you made me look at my own filters. Um, <laughs> you definitely had to work on a few, mate. <laughs> I had a few strong filters in place, but um, that's the joy of sharing experiences and talking and you know meeting new people is that you learn what you have in place, mm. don't you? And you learn what you may need to sort of improve upon. Uh, not in a bad way, but just... Yeah, yeah, and also what I'd say, mate, is that we all make mistakes and there was filters that I needed mm. to work on that you challenged me and there was filters that you needed to work on that I challenged you on. But I didn't mm. do it in a way of, oh, you are a bad person. I was just like, Con, I don't think you should... I don't think you should be saying <laughs> particularly that in an open plan office. And you'd be saying to me, Fred, well, maybe not say that quite as loudly yep. in an open plan office. So. It, it was more the look on your face that was sort of made me think about these things. Um, you know, I could sort of look across and use your face as a barometer. For, for yeah, what if I was, I was giving you a laugh and um, a thumbs up, it was normally fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it was a wince, uh, not so much. <laughs> uh, it was about 50-50 as well. So yeah, 50 50 both wins ways. 50-50 laughs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I want to quickly go back to Ven quickly. And it... Mm -hmm. and it it seems like it plays such an important part and that sort of, I use the word recovery and growth. So 
if you hadn't have done vent, where do you think you would be now? That's a very tough question because it's a hypothetical one, isn't it? Mm. It's a good question. It is. I want you to push that sort of mm. you know self-examination a bit. If I hadn't done vent, I will be completely honest with you. I don't think I'd be here now. And when I say here now, I don't mean like I'd be dead, but I mean I wouldn't be in this flat mm. that I own. I wouldn't be in this exited mm. trauma state that I'm now in. I wouldn't be in this position of recovery and growth. I wouldn't have the friendships that I have. I wouldn't have the experiences that I've now had. So without it, I'd probably be still in that struggle period, failing to articulate things in life, failing to achieve what I want in life and well, not being who I am now and not being who I would like to be. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? And it's lovely to think how something as simple as, you know, a blog and a podcast in practice, you know, simple things can have such a sort of impact on our lives through the way we use these tools and interacting with you in these last two podcasts. Like for me, that vent medium has taken on a sort of larger significance for me. Whereas before I might have just saw it as a blog and just a, you know, a podcast, it's taking on a new sort of light in a sort of a healing process. It's really nice to see um, and to sort of visualize that. So I've got one more question, just one more on this, this growth thing, because it sort of popped up in my head. I know this wasn't on the outline. I'm asking you a few questions <laughs> that weren't on the outline and you, you, you've been a very good sport. So that's brilliant. So for anyone who might be listening and, and they're possibly in the struggle phase and they can't seem to get out of that phase, the struggle, and they want to move into the growth and the sort of assimilation of experience and you know the phase that you've, let's say you've been in for the last you know couple of years or you know recent times, what are the two or three most important things you would say for them to move into that phase? One, recognize that it's okay to struggle. Two, find out what works for them because it might not mm -hmm. be therapy. It might be they love skateboarding and they want to do more skateboarding and they want to try and achieve something more with that. It might be medication, but not therapy. It might be therapy, but not medication. It might be simply mm -hmm. talking about it and venting, but not doing anything more. Finding out what works for them is the best route. And there's no right route there's no wrong route it's the route that works for you three don't compare yourself to anyone else everyone's journey is unique don't compare your trauma to other people's don't get into a hierarchy of trauma and hierarchy of victims because that's just the worst place you can go and that's something that i really try and work hard on for people it's to say to them just because someone else has gone through x doesn't mean yours is insignificant or yours is invalid yours is equally as valid as them and recognize that and know that in yourself that you deserve everything that you deserve to get and achieve so those are the main things i would say and i guess a final one is don't be so hard on yourself and i'm speaking from experience here because i was so hard on myself for a long time i was so self-critical i was very self-critical of myself mm. i would compound mistakes that i'd make because i would feel so guilty about it all that people pleasing would come up really strongly and a lot of people would, who especially close to me then, would sort of try and push back on that. And I now recognise that was a really good thing, but perhaps I couldn't see it back then. But yeah, don't be so hard on yourself because probably you're doing pretty well. You just don't know it. Mm. Yeah, no. Roger that. Roger that, good sir. Well, much obliged, Freddie, for those, you know, exploring those three pathways with me. I guess now I sort of want to wrap up what we've discussed and sort of move into the end phase or the end game of this podcast. Mm. And I think for me, and again, it's, it's weird how much I learned through talking with you. As you say about continual learning and continue, I've read a lot of books in my time. 
I sometimes think there's not much more for me to learn, which is quite ignorant, but also it's, it's something I'm struggling with to find, to find new information engaging, I guess. Let's say that. And the way you talk about it and the way you structure it in this podcast, for me, I learn things in a very unique way. So I want to say thank you for that to begin with, because you make learning about this process incredibly interesting and engaging and, and, and thoughtful. And then the other thing is, when you asked me to, to do this, I, I thought hosting would be the easiest thing in the world. And it, t- it turns out it's not. <laughs> so full kudos for you for being such a good host in all the other podcasts I've heard you do. It's not easy, Freddie, and, I, and it's not easy, but thank you for that experience. And when I initially sent you the theme that I wanted to focus on, I sort of sent the email to you. And I thought, oh my God, am I just speaking a bunch of gibberish on there? You know, what on earth am I trying to say? Because um, it's not something I've really sp- spoken about in a sort of clear and concise way. So when you got back to me and you, you sounded really positive about it, that was actually a very nice feeling. And I was kind of very glad that you received it positively. So jumping off that and what we've discussed, do you feel like this theme and these three pathways that we've discussed are a useful ways of conceptualizing possible paths and mental health? I agree they can be. So on the one hand, I would be cautious about labeling someone in a defeat phase maybe you could start Mm. a struggle Mm. if that makes sense because defeat tends to mean no hope or there is no path Mm. out whereas you could say for example start with the struggle period and then move into growth or maybe like acceptance could be in between and then growth could be afterwards so you Mm. could formulate it in that sense however on the other hand I do think you are right in the sense that some people do feel defeated or there is that stage of Mm. rock bottom and it could be a useful frame of reference for them to say, look, I was at this point, perhaps if they were struggling with addiction and they were saying, well, I OD'd here, that was when I felt defeated and that's when I was defeated and now I can work back from there. So I think Mm. I certainly agree it can be a useful tool and a useful set of barometers maybe but there's also you can argue different perspectives of looking at it and different Mm, mm. ways of outlining that journey that could be tweaked no 100% agree and you know as I say I learned so much doing these talks with you and for me probably the word defeat is probably not the most appropriate one in the sense that as you say there could be moments where people could feel defeated but possibly adversity might be a better term mm-hmm. than defeat to explain that process and that path that someone might be on. And then you've obviously got adversity and then you've got struggle and then you've got growth. And it seems more of a sort of better way to tie it in, I think. That's incredibly useful for me. And that, as you say, overthinking can make life more complicated than it needs to be. And I feel like while these generalizations can become too generalized and you have to be very careful with them, I find in, in my own experience anyway, that keeping things simple, can sometimes give you a reference point to activate certain thought processes. So for me, if I think, oh, I'm in a struggle phase at the moment, okay, this is struggle. I know what struggle means and I can sort of associate with that and think about how I move out of that or move forward. So as you say, got to be careful, but they can be a useful, useful tool in, in, in some ways and use appropriately. So thank you for talking that through with me. It's been a pleasure. And as I say, I think I've learned a lot and that's been very useful. So I hope maybe we could do another one again at some point as well, bearing on your time schedule and, you know, what more we've got left to say. But uh, I think you've got the gym to head off to, don't you, because uh, in, in a second. <laughs> I do, mate. What I will say is thank you very much for interviewing me. 
I think you've done a good job. Mm. So well done on that. And I've really enjoyed having a different discussion around my journey through these tools, actually, and through these perspectives on your mental health, because I haven't done this before. So it was really helpful for me. And I've actually done preparation for this interview, which I don't normally do. So (laughs) I actually think that's helped me. I don't normally do any prep for interviews. I just kind of speak and have a spiel in my head that I use. So it's it's actually been helpful for me to get everything out and not have pod regret after we do this. So I'll actually enjoy this edit and not think, oh God, there's something that I didn't say because I've actually said everything on my notes. Yeah, you've done very well. And I did some preparation. I still struggled. I'm definitely in a period of struggle, I think, with that to begin with. (laughs) But towards the end, there was more of a growth phase. Um... But I also do want to say to everyone, anyone who's listening, I am not a professional psychologist or anything else like that. These terms were purely out of my own interest and wanting to speak with Freddie, who's had more experience in these things than me. So don't take these things as my gospel. They're just my own thoughts. And I feel like they've been explored and I'm very thankful for Freddie for that. So bless you, good sir. Well, we've come to the end of my part four episode on the Just Checking In podcast. Thank you to Connor, my old mate, for giving me the time, giving me the space to talk about my mental health in a new way, in a different way. Hope you guys have all enjoyed this impromptu look at my own mental health once more. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I just thought I can't not say no to Connor. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned into this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, please write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Venom and want to support us further, please go to our Patreon and support us at www.patreon.com slash VentsHelpUK. If you don't want to do that, you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. That is on our link tree and that is across all of our channels. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Thank you.